Hi, I'm Josie. My daughter turns five today. I'm also an Ohio State Highway Patrol trooper. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can get home to celebrate with my daughter. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Some weeks in the media business are really fun to bring to you, and some are not. Um, (laughs) Weeks like this one are important, but they're challenging. They're hard to report on because the brutality of what the truth is is almost unbearable. This really is one of those weeks. What's happening in Israel and in our own country, too, has been eye-opening and horrific. We are staring evil in the face. The evil actions of the terror organization Hamas and the evil behavior and thoughts of some right here in America that clearly have been simmering just below the surface. I mean, you know how The leftists have been saying, like the BLM crowd, they've been saying they're racist everywhere. They're everywhere. And we keep saying, like, where, where? You've kind of run out of examples. Yes, you can find one here, one there. It's not like it's been eradicated. But there are not racists everywhere, as the BLM crowd claims. Well, there are anti-Semites everywhere. They're everywhere. Remember the shock you felt when Kanye started to come out with his weird tweets you know, about the Jews and how evil the Jews were. They're, it's so much worse than Kanye. These people are in another league. I haven't seen Kanye celebrating the murder of Jewish children torn literally from their mother's wombs. That's what we're seeing amongst university professors, not to mention students, um, some Democrat politicians, groups like the Democrat Socialists of America, to which members of the so-called squad belong. And one of the interesting things that we've been seeing is the veil start to come down. The veil is starting to come down. I'll give you one example. We've talked about this California state senator, Scott Weiner. He's the lunatic who wants to trans all of your children. I mean, literally, like he wants to trans your child. Um, He's obviously Jewish, and he's starting to realize what all of his little buddies that he's been supporting and working with in woke ideology for the past X years are actually harboring in their hearts when it comes to Jews. The one group, we've seen this at the beginning of the wokeness, right? How many Jewish Americans, not the most liberal, but many Jewish Americans were like, whoa, what? Wait, what are we doing? Right? What are we doing? Because the wokest of the woke, they, they didn't count the Jews. It was like, nah, you're not in our cabal. Nah, you don't count. Even though you're a minority and you've been historically persecuted more than any other group. Yeah, you're not in our club. Kind of want blacks and we want Hispanics. We definitely don't want Asians and we don't want Jews. I mean, this is what's been happening as we've been watching sort of the woke ideology unfold in America. And now it seems like those last 
Jewish left wing Americans who have been left over believing in these wokesters and the BLMers like, no, no, their hearts are in the right place. The veil is coming down. You're surrounded by anti-Semites. They hate you. They're just as bad as some of these people in the Middle East who would like to see Israel eradicated. They see you as the villain, even when your babies have just been murdered by terrorists. You're to blame. It's unbelievable. All right, so we're going to get into all of that. There's also political news today. We we should know uh, who the Speaker of the House will be, the new one, by this weekend. And then there's Vice President Kamala Harris, who's out there in the midst of all this terror, going back to her stupid-ass Venn diagram comments. I mean, she can't, like, okay. Uh, We begin, of course, with the biggest story in the world, and that is what's happening in Israel. And joining me now for the full show, my pals from the Ruthless program. Today, we have Comfortably Smug, Michael Duncan, and John Ashbrook. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Guys, thanks so much for being here. So what do you make of my initial pitch on this, right? It's like there's finally like the veil coming down from our Jewish friends who were leftists who kept giving the BLMs of the world the benefit of the doubt. And now they're realizing, holy shit, these people, they they don't think I have a right to exist. Like they've been lecturing the world on dehumanizing behaviors for the past X years. And now they look at me and they're celebrating when people just like me are subject to mass murder in the Middle East. Smug, what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it has been incredible to see a lot of, you know, left wing Jewish people come to the realization you just described is that this whole woke movement that they've been a part of and thought makes them part of, you know, the cool group of 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 woke people actually completely hates them and sees them as being colonists and that murdering children and women and innocent civilians is part of the decolonization process. And it's horrific seeing how much of the left completely agrees with that ideology of, yes, you know, terrorism is actually a very viable way for these people to express their views. And so when you see these college campuses like Harvard, where you have 37 student organizations signing on, giving their support to these attacks, it's eye you know, it's eye opening for a lot of folks, but it they've been part of that for so long that they should have known better from the beginning when in 2020, we had a summer where burning down buildings, riots, attacking police, attacking police stations, attacking courthouses was completely acceptable that, oh, you know, the riots, the voice of the unheard at that time. And so they've kept pushing it and pushing it, pushing it from violence is acceptable. Rioting is acceptable. Theft is now completely acceptable, essentially just tearing down society. And so when they've gotten to this one last step that, well, murder is completely acceptable. That's where we are now. These radicals, I I like to say, are sort of like uh, in Jurassic Park, the velociraptors testing the electric fence and the rhetoric gets more heated over time. And they're trying to see what they can get away with. Right. At the surface, it's decolonization. At the surface, it's land acknowledgments. But you scratch below the surface and right there, right below the surface is full on Mm anti-Semitism. Right. When they talk about settler colonialism. Right. And this goes back even long before the woke movement and the BLM riots in 2020. You know, we're talking about on uh, on our show on Ruthless today, Jeremiah Wright, 
Chickens are coming home to roost. America deserved 9-11. Mm-hmm. This has existed in this country for a very long time. And I'm really the one silver lining of all this horrible, horrible tragedy is like you said, Megan, at the top, the mask has fallen and Americans, their eyes are now opening to what these radicals really, truly believe. And they believe in murder and terrorism. And it's showing its ugly face all over the world in ways that people might not think about on a day to day basis. I read a story about how Jewish kids in England and in Germany are being encouraged by their school districts to cover up their yarmulkes with baseball caps or something else because they have so many migrants in their country who hate Jewish people that they have to they're basically living in fear. And it's it's it is it's disgusting. And it really, really sh- I, I, I don't think I, I just I, I don't think anybody really. You know, maybe some people did know that the depth and the, the the breadth of the depravity of this of, you know, Hamas has always been there. They've always been bad. They've always been like threatening Jewish people. But this really snaps you to attention. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I you you saw you saw the, the images over the weekend, Megan, some of the most disgusting, reviling things that you could ever see on the Internet. And like a lot of people, I really struggled with. Do I share this on my Twitter account? Do I retweet these horribly graphic images? And at first I was thinking, no, I'm not, I don't want to do that. This is, this is terrible. This is somebody's family member. But then the more you, the more you thought about, the more you heard from people who are in Israel, the more people were saying, don't look away. Mm -hmm. This is what hatred does to people who are innocent and people who are just living a, a very, very pleasant life. And they hate Jewish people from the bottom of their heart. And it's time we recognize that. And it's time that that it's time for Israel to respond. And it and of course, they're doing that. Um, Ashbrook, to your point, J.K. Rowling tweeted this out today from a British newspaper, somebody writing in on advice from her school. Our teenage daughter has gone off without her blazer this morning. Her male classmates have been advised to cover their skull caps with baseball caps. On her preschool dawn run yesterday, she ran past the broken glass of a kosher cafe's windows and a fresh anti-Israel slogan painted on a bridge. All my grandparents were Holocaust survivors who found safe haven and built new lives in the UK. So, of course, I am twitching with latent anxiety and the creeping dangers uh, of the masses not speaking out against terrorism. Think of it. And here here in um, in New York, and across the states, we're worried about tomorrow, where the head of Hamas is called for this national day of rage. And, you you know, New York right. has got a very large Jewish population. And, you know, people are going to be going to synagogue. They're going to be going to the JCC. They're going to be going to various Jewish centers, having to worry about whether they're going to get blown up because of their religion. And because mm-hmm. our country hasn't sent a clear enough signal from every corner that this will not be tolerated here. Megan, it is it is stunning and it's very disgusting. And I'll tell you that the spread is is far and wide. I was talking to my wife last night. She has friends who teach at local Christian schools in our area and multiple schools have received threats about Friday. And sometimes you don't know what the threat is. Is it a kid trying, you know, being stupid? But they're taking these threats very seriously. They've called the FBI. They're walking through all the proper channels because you don't know what these you don't know what these monsters will actually do. I mean, what we've seen in Israel is is terrible. But what we're seeing in America just in the last three or four days, 
should really, really get everybody's attention, because if you listen to the chants in like the rally, you mentioned that the Democratic Socialists of America, the rally that they planned, by the way, they planned on Saturday, the day that right. all these children were murdered in their neighborhoods, in their homes, waking up. Hamas is in there shooting them, killing them, doing whatever horrible things that they've did to them. And they plan that rally on Saturday to celebrate the killings, which is disgusting. That's what was happening. Absolutely. You think Democratic Socialists other- of America, that's that's AOC. She's part of that group. Like Bernie Sanders calls himself a Democratic Socialist. Like we could go down the list. And this guy, Scott Wiener, right. not that it's all about him, but just as a, an example. So he is horrified seeing his group uh, and the the San Francisco chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America come out and speak, even in the wake, not that Saturday's violence wasn't horrifying enough, but even in the wake of the news about the babies and the families being burned. And this is what he writes. The DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, San Francisco statement is horrifying and even worse than the national DSA statement. It unqualifiedly endorses Hamas's, quote, resistance, consisting of the massacre of 1,200 Israelis, including kids and seniors, and hostage-taking. It uses this horrific moment to call for an end to Israel. And then he quotes several tweets being put out right now by the DSA of San Francisco, including this one. Violent oppression inevitably produces resistance. Socialists support the Palestinian people's and all people's right to resist and fight for their own liberation. This weekend's events are no different decolonization is the only path toward peace. My right. God. It's it's stunning. And I just want to make one more quick point, and I'm going to turn it over to my buddies here. But the, but if you listen to what they say, they say decolonization, they're using all of these corporate words to cover up for what this actually is, which is jihad. Mm-hmm. This is murder of Jews and anybody else who's not like them. If you listen to the chants at these rallies, they chant intifada, intifada. They're not chanting two state solution. Right. We've talked about this on the show. They're not like looking for for a common ground. No, they've been and offered also, that uh, multiple know, the times. Is- they reject it. They want jihad. And we'll get to what we have now on tape, the leader of Hamas saying exactly that. Go ahead, Smilk. Well, uh, all these folks who act like they're so completely shocked by the DSA and, and BLM when they were so happy to, you know, send out these hashtags BLM while there are riots happening in this country, while police officers were killed burned alive across this country while people were celebrating that even corporations were part of this BLM movement. Um, There was an account on Twitter, Western Lensman, who's been just pulling up all these receipts on the people who are involved with the BLM movement, celebrating it. And he had a video from uh, Patrice Colors, who was the founder of BLM in 2015, saying Palestine is our generation in South Africa. If we don't step up boldly and courageously to end the imperialist project called Israel, we're doomed. That's a direct call for the destruction of that Israel. Thought. Hold that thought because we have that sound. Let me play it and then you pick it up on the back end. Palestine is our generation in South Africa. And if, <laughs> if, if we don't step up uh, boldly and courageously to end the, the imperialist project that's called Israel, um, we're doomed. That's right there. That's right end there. Israel. Yeah, when they say step up boldly, what they mean is murdering toddlers at a kibbutz 
and gunning down people at a musical music festival for peace. I mean, it's the justification of murder mm -hmm. that's sort of just dressed up in the language of woke ideology, but it is what it is. Bingo. It's these people, these people that just, there is no moral clarity to what they believe. And I think that's what's most frightening about this, especially for us in the United States, is like, you know, we, we live among people who are okay with the murder of Jews. And I think it's tough for people to get their head wrapped around that. But I mean, that's where yeah. we are today. Me too. It's tough for me to get my head wrapped around it. I knew that there was anti-Semitism for sure. I mean, I've always grown up in the state of New York and then most half my life in the city of New York. And um, they're just a, there's a very large Jewish population. So you talk to your friends and you hear what they've gone through. And you, it, there is a serious faction uh, that hates Jews. But honestly, I didn't realize like it was it, they, these same people were capable of celebrating terrorism against Jewish children and babies and elderly and women. You know, I could say, OK, they would back the Palestinians in a military conflict. Right. They they, they, they want Palestine to have more than it has. OK, I like, OK, I'm, I'm still with them on a logical basis how they feel. I, I, I did not foresee this level of academy support for mass murder, mass murder. That's what we're seeing. All of these people should be fired. Every last one of them, the same way as if they came out and said, I'm pro ISIS burning people in cages. You have insane, murderous lunatics working for you. And I, honestly, it's like, yes, the people who, who are coming out of Harvard in these student groups. Yes, you're included. I want them all named and shamed. Yes, the professors who have come out uh, and the writers, including, by the way, guys, somebody at my own alma mater for my law school. Her name is, hold on. Well, it's written so small, I can barely see it. Na, Nina, Nina for, yeah, Nina Farina. I think that's what it is. Uh, who, she's on the Palestinian side too. This is disgusting. When I was at Albany Law School, we weren't ideological. We taught the law. We didn't have lunatics like this, who's clearly a BLM hire, if you look at her her bio, um, trying to teach hate to people. But she's been lurking there, right under the surface, teaching you know the next generation of lawyers, as have all these people who, you know, who've now come out in the past couple of days in, in support of what we've seen. It's it's jarring, Duncan. It's jarring. It, and, and these same students will ask you to pay for their student loans. Yeah. They'll ask you to pay for their student loans on Friday and go to a kill the Jews rally on Saturday. I mean, I mean, these are people that fundament they're neo-Marxists. These are people that are not just anti-Israel. They're anti-capitalism. They're anti-America. They're anti-democracy. I mean, it's I mean, we got to call it what it is. It's 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 psychotic stuff. I, one, one thing I would I would like to tell a little story for your listeners, Megan. I worked on Netanyahu's campaign in 2015 in Israel. They had a snap election over there, and I lived in Tel Aviv for three months. And one of the kids on the digital team for the campaign that I worked with was this kid named Nico. And he grew up in Paris and his whole family French. And for Americans or, or people around the globe who, who don't know a lot about Israel, you might be shocked that that there are Jews who actually leave, you know, Western Europe or America and go live in Israel, especially with all the conflict and, and the, the murders that we saw recently. But what Nico told me was that the anti-Semitism there is is creeping in the same way that we're seeing now, that he would go to his elementary school in Paris and kids would draw swastikas on his desk, swastikas on his desk. And so when you are Jewish and you see it more 
and it's pressing around you in a place like Paris or New York, where you've got people cheering on the martyrs, the martyrs of Hamas. You can understand why if you were a Jew in the United States or a place like Paris, that you would make Aliyah with your family and go live in Israel because you might actually feel safer there. And that's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I've had my my dearest friend when I was growing up, one of them, uh, her sister moved to Israel right after she graduated from high school. This is in the 80s. And even back then it was like, oh, it's dicey. It's a dicey choice, you know, because there was violence and they were subjected to rocket attacks even then. And yet over the past couple of years, it's been more peaceful or so they thought. Mm. And again, we'll get to what the leader of Hamas just said in a taped interview, which I'll show you. Um, I want to just spend one more second on this Nina Farnia, Farnia, Albany Law School professor. This is where I went to law school. Legal historian. Sure, Nina. Sure. Scholar of critical race theory. That's a contradiction in terms. Focusing on the role mm. of modern imperialism in U.S. law and politics. I'm ashamed that my alma mater uh, uh, hired a woman on that. Modern imperialism in U.S. law and politics. What the hell is she doing there? What is it? That's not a thing. That is not a thing that you be t should be teaching in law school. Her, she tweeted out in response to the mass murders, long live the Palestinian resistance and people of Gaza, tearing down the walls of colonialism and apartheid. As the Biden administration builds more walls at U.S. borders, the people of the world are rising up and tearing walls down. The Palestinians are a beacon for us all. A beacon. Mm. Now, she she's she's talking about Hamas. They are Palestinians. She's talking about Hamas. They're a beacon for us. And now Jewish students and there's a fair amount of Jewish population in Albany. This I can speak to firsthand have to walk into this damn class and sit in front of this racist bigot and listen to her talk to them about colonialism and imperialism. How would you feel if you were a Jewish st student listening to this? She has to be fired today, today, fired. And so does this Yale professor, who's the worst of them all. You guys saw this woman in Yale, Zarina Grewal, who, who tweeted out, settlers are not civilians. This is not hard. In response to the argument that they're killing civilians, you're, you're not a civilian if you're a settler. Meaning if you basically live in Israel, you're fair game. This woman too. And by the way, she doubled down when this became an, a, a national firestorm, which she tweeted on, on October 10th. She doubled down and said, no government on earth is as genocidal as this settler colonial state, evidence for it. Uh, and then she said, oh wait, no, she goes, sigh, the playbook. This is about the dead decapitated babies. They make up a lie. There's no evidence for it. Western mm. journalists spread it like wildfire. Diplomats and politicians parrot it loudly. A narrative is built. The general public believes that the damage is done. And then they finally admit it never happened. So far there are 30,000 signatures uh, to get this woman, Zarina Grewal, fired. She needs to go today, Yale, today, not another moment. So can we talk about, forgive me, but this story of the murdered babies? Because you guys have seen what I've seen, right? These left-wingers, not, I don't even know what they are. They're, they're, they're anti-Semite left-wingers because I don't, I have a lot of left-wing friends. They're not right. like this. Um, making a big thing out of whether babies were beheaded and if so, just how many? What's the number? There's this guy at the LA Times. Um, hold on, I just had it up. I had it on my Twitter feed. Um, he's at the LA Times. Give me one second and I'll find it. Here he is. Adam Elmarek. 
Elmarek, who go back and look. I encourage the listeners, go back and look at him. It's at Adam, E-L-M-A-H-R-E-K. <laughs> Excuse me. Look at his X feed over the last few days. He hasn't posted now in 23 hours. Um, and this is the last one. At this point, with so many allegations flying, every major media should pause and just report the following. There's been no verification of some of the most heinous allegations, including rape and baby beheadings. Skepticism in this moment is the brave and right thing to do. Now we've literally seen pictures of the murdered babies. If you go to Ben Shapiro's Twitter account today, you will see them if you can stomach them. Burned babies Mm -hmm. and what appears to be a beheaded child or at least a child who's bleeding heavily, a baby, a baby. I can't be more than three months old in, in its crib. Dead. And we've had the Jerusalem Post report directly that they have seen, they have seen themselves the evidence. It's not third hand now, like they are reporting in the first person that they have seen it for themselves. And it's been confirmed by the Israeli government. But because the Israeli government does not want to release the pictures on Moss for understandable reasons. Oh, and by the way, there's reporting today that they showed the pictures to Tony Blinken, our secretary of state, who's over there right now, showed him. Mm. This asshole has not updated his Twitter feed. Worse for the LA Times, guys. Why? Why? He can't. It's not because he can't stomach the, thor- the horror. He doesn't want to be wrong. He wants to pour cold water on the story. Why? Because the guy's obviously a raging anti-Semite. Smug, I'm sorry, but it's there's no other conclusion. It's absolutely disgusting. And also a significant part of the problem is that these newsrooms, the LA Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, have essentially been captured by these 20-year-olds who are completely woke and in lockstep with this kind of ideology. They've all already been shepherded into believing, okay, well, you know, riots and setting cities on fire is completely acceptable. And they've been completely bullied into now believing that, well, I guess murder has to be acceptable. And I guess, uh, you know, uh, Israelis, like the Yale professor says that, well, uh, settlers are not civilians. The newsrooms themselves have this kind of pressure where we've seen in the past, like when Tom Cotton uh, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times saying that it's time to send in the National Guard when there were riots all across this country. That person, the person who okayed him writing an op-ed lost their job because the newsrooms themselves are now run by these woke 20-year-olds. And that's why you have people like that at the L.A. Times who are skeptical of the murder of civilians when there's evidence everywhere. And they, it's not just they don't want to be wrong. They don't want to upset their friends in the newsroom for sounding like, oh, you're not OK with this decolonization. That's what they're scared of. I want to go back to the settlers aren't citizens thing for a second, because I think it's instructive of how pervasive this this problem actually is with the Yale professor. That that theory like settlers aren't citizens or everyone is an en- enemy combatant is Islamist ideology that you can map a through line from ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Islamic Jihad to Muslim Brotherhood. They invented this term called Jahiliya, which basically the theory was the citizens of a country are fair game for violent terror because they are complicit in what their government does. And so we can kill any innocent uh, in the world. Everybody is fair game. So when they did a suicide bomb or put an IED next to a car, it's all justified under this Islamist Uh, ideology. And now we have professors in the United States who believe that same ideology. It is disgusting. 
And also specifically about that professor at Yale, she's the professor of American studies and religious studies and gave her location on her profile in America in a collapsing empire. So you have someone who it's anti-capitalism, man. These people hate civilization. That's really what it is when it gets down below all the bullshit and the land acknowledgments and the stuff that they usually tweet. Underneath that is they just want the destruction of Western civilization and capitalism. It's as simple as that. It, honestly, it's like BLM, which, you know, its chapters now have put out, you know, that disgusting BLM Chicago post earlier this week showing the paragliders waving the Palestinian flag and saying, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you go. They were celebrating it. Then they got some blowback, including from many black Americans saying, what the hell are you doing? And they th- then somebody went to the national chapter of Black Lives Matter and they refused to condemn the statements. Then the. Apparently, they have no problem with it. they refused to condemn the statements because of what you're just what you just mentioned. Patrice Patrice Cullors, the woman who was one of the three co-founders of BLM, was on camera just a couple of years ago calling for the end of Israel. The end. So this is like all the ideology is tied together. Quick update. This guy who I just told you about, this reporter uh, for L.A. Times, he just tweeted, must be watching the show. Um, Confusion persists over the Hamas beheaded babies oh. reporting. Um, CNN confusion. now saying is confusion persists. CNN now saying an Israeli official has walked back the claim. That's not true. No, I, I've been following this closely and no Israeli official has walked back the claim. One guy said, I'm not going to release the pictures and I'm not going to get into the numbers. That's it. He did not. He did not walk anything back. Um, and, by, and by the way, we have in his, an IDF soldier who's first person reporting, not to mention Secretary Blinken. But forget all that. Forget all that. And stand by. Then he says, meanwhile, the Jerusalem Post says it has seen the photos. OK, so yes, they have. You might want to consider looking at them yourself, L.A. Times reporter, because Benjamin Netanyahu is now tweeting them out. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Netanyahu is now tweeting out the photos of the bloody dead babies. That's what it's come to. These insane lunatics. And honestly, now this asshole is going to go back to his Twitter account and say, well, I don't know if it was 40. Was that baby actually beheaded or did it just have its neck slit so so far to the back that it all. There's something wrong with these people. They're walking amongst us there. These people in the L.A. Times newsroom are working with this asshole. They like and and many of them are Jewish. Now they have to go to work next to this guy. This is insane. it is insane. It's absolutely disgusting. And, you know, there's a guy, this guy on Twitter, Adam Rubenstein. I don't know if you follow him. I encourage you to do it if you don't. But he put it very, very well. I, he said, I think if your best argument is that the dead babies were only murdered, not beheaded, you've not only lost the argument, but also your mind. And I just think like the, the, the like the splitting hairs and the and like over over dead children. Yeah. who were murdered while they were in their cribs. Megan, I, I actually was at the kibbutz where these babies were murdered a few years ago. Oh, no. And it is, I'm telling you, you have never met more friendly people in your entire life. They were, they're living, they're living like the ideal existence in a very peaceful way with their families. All, all the while they're close to Gaza. They know, they know the dangers. They, 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 I mean, you, you've you've literally never met people who you'd rather spend more time with. And, and it's just it's really heartbreaking what happened to these people. And also oh to go gosh. back to that L.A. Times reporter, what's very critical, and you're seeing this across a lot of media sources, which is really stunning, is when they say things like don't trust the Jerusalem Post, don't trust the IDF. 
they're essentially just trying to say, don't trust Jewish people. Mm -hmm. It's thinly yeah. veiled anti-Semitism straight up. That's what that is. I mean, I'm very Dude, thankful. These are modern day Holocaust deniers. Go ahead, Duncan. Right, right. But I mean, there are brave like foreign press war correspondents who are over there who have seen this for themselves. And, you know, back to Ashbrook's point, it's like, are we really splitting hairs and and trying to yes, but uh, the murder of babies, the the raping of of women, uh, the the gunning down of people at a music festival for peace. I mean, one woman was murdered by Hamas and they filmed her murder and uploaded it to her own Facebook page. Has the L.A. Times Grandma. seen that? Is that enough proof? Is that enough proof that these people are terrorists? Like I right. it's it's unconscionable. That's exactly right. There have been so many tapes put out. And this is why, you know, Glenn Beck was on the show yesterday talking about how yesterday evening he was doing a show with Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin, where they were going to go through as many of these tapes as well, they could stomach. And while it's it's not something that I would do, um, I support the decision to do it, because if anybody's got doubts about whether this is happening and the level of gruesome behavior, take the time. Don't opine. Don't write stupid ass pieces and tweets like this without contextualizing them. Who the hell cares how many of the 40 murdered babies were actually beheaded? Talk about missing the point. How does this guy still yeah. have a job? How does he remain? It, 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 I printed this out because I thought this actually was a great point. And it was just kind of got to the absurdity of what's happening. Her name is Kat Rosenfield. And she tweeted the following uh, today. I think this was. This the, maybe the weirdest part of this whole thing uh, is this. How do you go from losing your mind over an errant pronoun or the phrase master bedroom to shrugging off the explicit hate we're seeing here? That's exactly right, because this same crowd has been trying to get people canceled over pronouns, over nonsense like master bedroom, over, you know, using the rice of people who live in Peru without giving them proper credit. Read read Noah Rothman's book, The New Puritans, if you want to get all the examples of how this same crowd has been lecturing us and canceling us into oblivion for the past three years over nothing. The same group that now is celebrating the mass murders happening over there with a shoulder shrug. What? This is what decolonization looks like. Yep. Yeah, th there are college kids who with a straight face will say Riley Gaines showing up on my campus is a threat to my personal safety. And then they'll attend a, a pro Hamas rally that screams death to the Jews and praise the martyrs. And I, I mean, in a culture yes. of microaggression, they're fine with a macroaggression like that. Yeah, no, we yes. hear so many lectures about how words are violence, but when there's actual violence, somehow that's not violence. Right. It's in like the worst violence you could even, you can't even imagine it. I mean, prior to them doing this, who could have imagined it? And their first instinct is not to say, my God, the horror. It's to celebrate and defend it. I have zero use for these people. Zero. If any of those people are watching this show, go somewhere else. You're following me on Twitter, unfollow. I have zero appetite for you in my life in any way. Stand by, guys. Um, I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, I'm going to play you that videotape of the Hamas leader. 
Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. This just in. Secretary of State Blinken in Tel Aviv says Israeli counterparts showed him photos of Israeli soldiers decapitated Babies riddled with bullets, harkens back to ISIS, describes feelings as overwhelming. This is a moment of moral clarity. And again, we've seen the photos ourselves being tweeted out by Netanyahu, by Ben, of babies completely burnt, bloodied in their cribs. We've seen photos tweeted out of the cribs that are now empty, in which the, the mattress is completely blood-soaked. The walls are completely covered in blood. And you see like Tonka trucks in the foreground. And it was, to your point, Ashbrook, it was clearly a happy place where toddlers and babies were living as of this past Friday. And within 24 hours, it, it would be the scene of a mass murder. So I have zero patience to quibble over the exact way in which the neck was cut and the baby's life was taken. It's completely beside the point. Um, Hamas, meanwhile, comes out and speaks clearly about how this happened. And it's an extraordinary interview in which a senior Hamas leader talks about how long they had been planning this and listen to the piece at the end about their fundamental life philosophy. For all these people saying two-state solution, you guys reference it at the top, right? Like the BS of like, that's what they want. They just want to live in peace next to Israel with a two-state solution. Bullshit. They want like what Patrice Cullors wants. They want the eradication of Israel. There is no possibility of peace with this group. Don't believe me? Listen to the senior Hamas official here. We've done our own voiceover of the translation. The zero hour was kept completely secret. A limited number of Hamas leaders knew it. The number of people who knew about the attack and its timing could be counted on one hand. In the past couple of years, Hamas has adopted a rational approach. It did not go into any war and did not join the Islamic Jihad in its recent battle. But all this was part of Hamas's strategy in preparing for this attack. Of course, we made them think that Hamas was busy governing in Gaza and that it wanted to focus on the two and a half million Palestinians there and that they had abandoned the resistance altogether. All the while, under the table, Hamas was preparing for this big attack. In order to keep the attack secret and successful, the different factions and our allies did not know the zero hour. The Israelis are known to love life. We, on the other hand, sacrifice ourselves. We consider our dead to be martyrs. The thing any Palestinian desires the most is to be martyred for the sake of Allah, defending his land. Our allies are those that support us with weapons and money. First and foremost, it is Iran that gives us money and weapons. We are not alone on the battlefield. Now there you have it. This is, there's no greater glory for the Palestinians than to die for their land. They need to get rid of the Israelis who are so pesky in the way that they love life. And thank God we can do it with the help of Iran. By the way, new Washington Post reporting today talking all about how Iran helped, helped plan it, helped fund it, while U.S. and Israeli intelligence continue to say we've seen no definitive evidence of that. I don't, I don't know what's happening there, to be honest, whether we're just denying it because we don't want a war with Iran 
um, or whether there's a difference between the many, many meetings and planning Iran helped with and the money and officially joining Hamas on the battlefield as they committed these atrocities. But there's no question Iran had a hand in it. So, guys, what do you make of this Hamas official saying explicitly, we live to sacrifice ourselves uh, for the sake of defending Allah's land. This is our main goal. Like two state solution, if only the occupiers would be more kind and gentle. You know, maybe we could find peace in the Middle East. Yeah, I, I thought the sickest part of the entire thing was when he said Israel assumed, you know, we were caring for the people of Gaza, that that we were governing Gaza. But in secret, we were, you know, building rockets and and building gliders that we could use to murder people at a music festival. I mean, just think about that, because I see a lot of folks on the left and journalists talking about, oh, you know, um, you know, Israel is committing a war crime because the electricity in Gaza is out and they don't have clean water. Well, Hamas digs up the water pipes to build rockets uh, to shoot them into Israel. I mean, the people who are terrorizing Gaza are Hamas itself, and they're proud of it. They're proud of what they are doing. They think it's a weakness of the Israelis that they love life. Think about how sick and twisted nihilistic it is. It's anti-human is what this is. You're exactly right. They've been sitting there for over a year planning this while the Israelis were thinking, maybe we're making progress. You know, maybe we have reached a place where we can live side by side and they won't be trying to kill us all the time. Um, it, it's really it's kind of stunning because Israel went so far as to allow Gazans to work in Israel. They were allowing not just Palestinians from anywhere, but people from Gaza, which we know is heavily populated by Hamas, to come in and work in Israel, trusting them that much. And this is the thanks they get. This is Israel, the Israel, Israel has treated the family members of Hamas leaders in Israeli hospitals when they've gotten sick and needed surgery. Think about that. They're, they're treating Hamas fighters yeah. in their hospitals today. Yeah. And, 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 and the reward for that is, is they target civilians. So here, that brings me to Rashida Talib who is absolutely the worst. Do we have her little bit from yesterday? Uh, do we have it here today, you guys, just in case people didn't see it? All right, this is where uh, the Fox reporter, we showed it yesterday, but for those who haven't seen it, the Fox reporter confronted Rashida Tlaib, uh, Palestinian-American, on because she hadn't said anything to, in, in sympathy with Israel. She'd only released a very volatile statement that seemed to support the Palestinians. And then we found out the report about the murdered babies and so on. So, uh, Fox's reporter caught up with her, and here's a bit of what happened. Do you condone what Hamas has done, chopping off babies' heads, burning children alive, raping women in the street? You have no comment about children's heads being chopped off? Congressman, why do you have a Palestinian flag outside your office if you do not condone what Hamas terrorists have done to Israel? Do Israeli lives not matter to you? Okay. The reason she was confronting her is because Tlaib's ori original statement over the weekend was as follows. I'll just give you a flavor. I continue to grieve the Palestinian and Israeli lives lost yesterday, today, and every day. She called for the dismantling the apartheid system that created the suffocating, dehumanizing conditions that can lead to resistance. She called for ending the occupation. Quote, as long as our country provides billions in unconditional funding to support the apartheid government, this heartbreaking, 
cycle of violence will continue. The cycle of violence. Um, I'm going to read you a piece on the cycle of violence in one second. But now, today, after that clip went viral of her refusing to say, no, I don't, I do not support the murder of babies. Yes, I condemn that heinous act. She couldn't find it within herself to say it. Through a spokesperson, this is what she managed to come up with. I do not support the targeting and killing of civilians, whether in Israel or Palestine. And then for good measure, because she's part of the whole BLM crew, the fact that some have suggested otherwise is offensive and rooted in bigoted assumptions about my faith and ethnicity. She Never forget, guys, she's the real victim. Exactly. I mean, their whole ideology is based on making themselves a victim and then trying to control others. This is the same playbook that they've always used. And even in the face of these horrors, like they themselves would say silence means you're compliant. That's a perfect example of it right there. If you can't, when asked at your face, say, of course, I think it's important that children were murdered. I'm completely against that. Of course, I'm against women who are raped. That's a horrific thing to happen. If you can't say that and you're a member of Congress, what are you doing? And and a subtle thing in those statements that I think it's trying to do is excuse it. I mean, that's what it really is is doing. Like, you know, these are the consequences of the conditions of Gaza is that babies get decapitated when they say the resistance, the resistance. What they mean is it's okay. And you might ask yourself, how is it that a member of Congress who's ostensibly popularly elected by constituents get to this point? I mean, like how in the world among 435 people in America do we have one who refuses to condemn the murder of babies? And if you do a little bit of digging and look at her district, you will be horrified because I don't know if you've seen some of these rallies that have happened in Dearborn, Michigan, or some of the- Is that Hamas her district, flag. Ashbrook? That is, that is That's her, her district. district. So if you mm-hmm. see the Hamas flags outside of buildings in Dearborn, Michigan, you will be horrified and you will start to wonder how in the world is Hamas here in America? And it's, it's I mean, it, it's no mystery. Our immigration policies in this country have been so lax. Our border security has been non-existent and nobody has really looked in to who is coming here and what are their motives. And that is how you get somebody who is basically a Hamas sympathizer as a member of Congress. Consequences up and down. Chilling. That is absolutely chilling. You're right. And I'll get to I, I just pulled them the border stats of how many people from countries like this have come across our border with impunity over the past couple of years under Joe Biden. Um, I want to read you something quickly before we go to break from Jeff Jacoby. He's an op-ed columnist at the Boston Globe on this idea of cycle of violence. We're hearing this from many of these Hamas defenders. Cycle of violence, you know, it goes back and forth. This is kind of just a response to Israel's violence. So, you know, you got to contextualize it. Okay, let me just read you something. Uh, There is no cycle of violence, he writes. There is a history of horrific Palestinian terror and of desperate efforts by Israel to prevent more atrocities. Nor did anything start with, quote, the Israeli occupation. Every time Palestinian Arabs have been offered statehood, every time they've been given the opportunity to govern themselves in peace alongside a Jewish state, they have vehemently and violently rejected it. It is not Israeli occupation that Hamas and the PLO resent. That's the group that is more in the West Bank. It is the existence of any Jewish state no matter how small, 
1947, the United Nations voted to create two states, one Jewish and one Arab, in what had been British Palestine. The Jews agreed. The Arabs launched what they called a war of extermination to prevent the birth of a Jewish state. Miraculously, Israel survived the Arab onslaught. That is what its enemies now call the occupation. 18 years ago, Israel expelled all the Jews who were living in the Gaza Strip and transferred the entire territory to the Palestinian Authority. It was the perfect opportunity for Palestinians to build a flourishing and peaceful state unimpeded by Jewish, quote, occupiers. Hmm. Instead, the Palestinian Authority and Hamas voted to use Gaza as a base for more and more terror. They kept their word. The nearly 1,000 Israelis shot, hacked, burned, raped, beheaded, and tortured to death this past week are only the latest victims. It has been said often, but it bears repeating. If Hamas and the PLO were to lay down their weapons, there would be no more violence. If Israel were to lay down its weapons, there would be no more Israel. There are 21 Arab countries and 55 majority Muslim countries in the world. There is only one small Jewish country. But for Israel's enemies, that has always been one too many. We'll be right back as the guys from Ruthless stay with us. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hey, I'm Ruben. My band and I have a new song. I'm also a tow truck driver. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I get to go home at the end of the day and see my bandmates. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Everybody's watching the Megyn Kelly show live. Apparently uh, they're listening to it on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111. And then they're tweeting accordingly, including this ridiculous Albany Law School professor, Nina Farnia, again, legal historian and scholar of critical race theory. Just to remind the audience from hour one, she tweeted out, long live the Palestinian resistance and people of Gaza, tearing down the walls of colonialism and apartheid, and goes on for there saying the Palestinians are a beacon for us all, a beacon. Mm. Um, Well, she just tweeted again. And you know who she's feeling really sorry for? I'll give you one guess. Herself. You got it. You got it. (laughs) This morning, I woke up to death threats on Twitter. She's really concerned about death threats now that they're directed at her. Actual death unleashed on Israeli children. That's fine. That's go Palestinians. This morning, I woke up to death threats on Twitter. People revealing themselves as proponents of racist violence on my page, not to mention censorship and suppression of speech. Let the record speak for itself. Oh, it does, Nina. And the record has revealed you to be a vile (laughs) Jew hater. The record shall so reflect. Then what does Albany Law School do, right? It's a chance for the law school to say, in the same way Winston and Strawn, that great law firm in Chicago, fired that woman, Rhino Workman, who was heading up the New York University uh, NYU Law Students Bar Association. They fired her ass when she tweeted out something like this said your permanent offer to work here has been revoked. Does Albany Law say, Nina, you're out. You're out. 
And by the way, we can't stand Nina's views. Nope. They tweet out the following. A statement from Albany Law School president and dean. I kid you not. This is her name. Cinnamon P. Carlarne. <laughs> Cinnamon, who we looked it up. I didn't know this was the dean. I knew the old dean. Um, went to Oxford and Berkeley, of course. And Dan Grossman, chair of the board of trustees. Albany Law School unequivocally condemns the Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel and the slaughter of innocent civilians. These acts of unspeakable terror are an affront to humanity. We express our unconditional support for all of those affected by the horrific violence. So I got a pro tip for you, Albany Law School. Um, That should have been done a lot earlier than yesterday, which is when they tweeted it a lot earlier. It doesn't take four days for you to figure out the mass murder of civilians is something you might want to comment on. And where's your comment on Nina? the vile racist, the vile Jew hater that you have teaching your students. I'll wait. I'll wait. So that's the update on her. Um, There's lots coming in. Hold on a second. Okay. And then my friend reminded me this, Scott Wiener, who starred in our first hour as well. You know, the guy who's like absolutely horrified that his Democratic Socialists of America are also vile Jew haters. Remember, he tweeted this on 1010 just a couple days ago. Let's be clear. The MAGA cult is supporting Jews at this moment because they hate Palestinians even more than they hate Jews. You see, MAGA hates everybody. They hate the Palestinians, presumably because they have brown skin, and they hate the Jews because, I don't know, Jews. But they'll turn on the Jews, he adds, in a heartbeat if the mothership, guess that means Trump, signals a moral panic that Jews are groomers who want to steal their children. Eyes wide open. Poor Scott Wiener, guys, he has nowhere to turn. He can't stay with the Democratic Socialists, and yet he can't join MAGA because it's just a hateful world for a poor guy like Scott who happens to be Jewish and wants to trans your kids. These people twist themselves into pretzels to defend the indefensible. Mm-hmm. And I just cannot believe the de- the the professor saying that she's being censored as she's literally tweeting something. How can you be censored while you're tweeting something? The people who were censored are the murdered Israelis who are laying in the ground right now, weren't even able to tweet or speak up for themselves. I've got news for that lady. She is a dangerous, dangerous person to a civil society, and she does not belong on a college campus. That's right. You guys, what about this free speech? You're censoring me. We saw some of the students who signed that letter at Harvard condemning Israel only, saying it's all Israel's fault. Now that Bill Ackman, the big hedge fund CEO, put out a a note saying a bunch of CEOs are asking me for their names. Let's get their names. And now we do know their names. Now we've seen a bunch of them try to disavow or even explicitly just come out and say, this is unfair. And people didn't know exactly what they were signing. This is an overreaction. And by the way, it's cancel culture and anti-free speech. I should be able to espouse my terrorist supporting views wherever I want without consequence. Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, it's pretty bad when you have kids going to Harvard Law who don't read things before they sign. I don't know what kind of advice they could <laughs> offer to clients to begin with. Um, yeah, for them to try and play the oh my gosh, we're we're being canceled. The the line that they so gleefully have said for years is, "Sure, you can have free speech, but there's consequences of that speech." They kept telling us that over and over again. And now that the tables have turned, all of a sudden they're they're crying that they're the victim now in these instances. Yeah, they they always said, uh, you, you know, it's freedom of 
speech, not freedom of consequences. That was always the line they used. And during the Trump years, you had all these folks compiling lists of everybody who worked for Donald Trump because, remember, they were going to blackball them from polite society. They were going to ensure they could never get another job again for working in his administration. And now these people want to talk about cancel culture. Well, like I know a lot of people probably have a different line of what they consider, uh, you know, when someone should be canceled. I think praising murderous terrorists is a line I'm comfortable drawing. Yeah, exactly. That's like Mehdi Hassan, who we talked about the other day on the show, this MSNBC anchor. He was very upset about Bill Ackman, the CEO, trying to get the names to hold these students accountable and say, hey, you know what? Good luck getting a job here. You're not coming to Wall Street. You're not going to work for a hedge fund. You're not going to be a big investment banker. And you're probably not going to get hired by a law firm either. Um, so sorry, we want to know who you are and, and whether you support terrorism. It's a thing, as it turns out. And so Mehdi Hassan is out there saying this is this is not supportive of free speech. It's cancel culture. And then somebody, of course, found the receipts. March 8th, 2022. This is from Mehdi. Free speech does not mean freedom to speak without consequence. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. This, this, this free speech. There's always a tweet, <laughs> Megan. There's always a tweet. Unless it's unless you really push him for the murder of civilians in Israel, you know, that then you can then you can say whatever you want and it should be no consequences. That's his view. Um, back to the border. Uh, I want to show you some because you were making this point, Ashbrook, and it was a good one. It was kind of chilling what you were saying. This is a report from Fox News a couple days ago. Thousands of, quote, special interest aliens. I'm not exactly sure what that means from numerous countries, including the Middle East, have been arrested by Border Patrol while attempting to cross into the U.S. via the southern border over the last two years. This data goes from October 21 through October 23. Shows that the agents encountered almost 6,400 nationals from Afghanistan, 3,100 from Egypt, 659 from Iran, 538 from Syria, 12,600 from Uzbekistan, 30,000 from Turkey, 1,600 from Pakistan, 164 from Lebanon, 185 from Jordan, 123 from Iraq. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, I'm telling you, the southern border is one of the biggest problems that we have in our country today. And I heard an encouraging number this morning uh, that 57 percent of Americans now support the construction of a border wall. And the rise in support is due mostly to movement among Democrats, among people who are living in blue states and cities. It's no surprise because cities are now overrun with migrants. But what people see on the news is somebody from Guatemala or Mexico coming to make a better life for themselves. What they do not see on the news is the migration also includes people from Uzbekistan and Iraq. And I'm, I got to tell you, Megan, if we don't have better a better line of sight on who is coming in and when they're coming in and why they're coming in and we can't funnel them to one place so that authorities can can get that information, we are in big trouble. And we all know the truth. The chilling truth of the border is that it's been open for a very, very long time. And the bad people are already here. And I I just think that we have to redouble our efforts to find out who they are, where they are, and stop them before they have a chance to do harm to Jews, Christians, Muslims, anybody in this country who wants to live a peaceful life. Yeah. 
I heard an encouraging number this morning, too, and that's 13 months left until the next presidential election. (laughs) 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 Also felt encouraged by that. We'll get to politics in one second, but I don't want to leave Israel yet. Uh, Blinken went over there. And, you know, you got to say this is without I, I fully understand that President Biden and his choices have helped create this mess. Um, you know, refunding the Palestinians, funding Iran to the tune of six billion to the point where even now five top Democratic senators are saying, do not give them that money. Stop that money from going to Iran. We could go down the list of his administration's policies that have helped create this mess, not to mention the weakness we've projected from Afghanistan to the Ukraine and so on. However, he's been saying the right things about Israel. And and that's been somewhat comforting to hear the American president not equivocate on the using the words terrorists, right? unlike the New York Times and these other publications and some leftists, his wording has been right on and he's been showing solidarity. So Blinken goes over to Israel, which was the right call. And he met with Netanyahu and he um, he went and met with like regular Israelis. And here he goes to a welcome center in Tel Aviv. And just watch this moment, guys. Stop for. They're cheering for all of us. You know, they're cheering for Americans and for America. It's not about Blinken. He's he's also saying the right things, but after his errant tweets. But the point is they're relying on us. We're their best friend. We've always had their back. They've always had ours. And they're cheering because we're always there for them. And we've said we'll be there for them in this dispute. And to me, it's very clear we must be. You know, there's a reason we're so close there's strategically and and you know for our own security that we've sort of been this tight with Israel but you see that and you think how could we do anything other than have their backs on this here's just a little bit more um Lincoln with Netanyahu sought too the message that I bring to Israel is this you may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself but as long as America exists you will never ever have to we will always be there by your side. So what do you make of the closeness between the two countries and the position it puts us in now in terms of helping and how the Biden administration is handling this? Well, I, I think there's two things. Number one, just from a practical standpoint, before we even got into the principles and ideals, and I think those are obviously very important, but you know, uh, Israel is our most important intelligence asset in the Middle East, which we all know is a very dangerous place. The coordination we have with them and their partners allows us to stop a lot of terror happening in this country and around the world. So just pragmatically, the alliance makes a ton of sense. Then obviously you have the fact that Israel is a democracy, a liberal democracy in the Middle East, a beacon for civilization in the region. I mean, if you're not going to defend that, what are we what are we doing here? What does America mean? You know, and I know there's a lot of people out there who would say, oh, we need to, you know, um, solve problems in this country before we can do anything else in the world. Well, it shouldn't be if or it shouldn't be one or the other. We should be able to secure the border and also protect our strongest ally in the world in a very, very dangerous place surrounded by a lot of people who want to kill them every day. And we're bound even closer together in a heartbreaking way after the weekend when we saw 22 Americans among those murdered. And there are at least a dozen more American hostages currently being held by Hamas inside of Gaza. And so our our American interests with Israel are aligned in ways that we really, really wish 
I mean, we really wish they they weren't today because there are also think about think about how many other Americans are in Israel who are living there or some some Americans have gone over to fight with the IDF. So it is mm-hmm. there is a seamless integration, not to mention the bo- uh, the men and women uh, who are on this as a part of this Gerald Ford uh, carrier strike group or this. I think it's the Eisenhower is the other carrier that's headed to the Mediterranean to to put an American military presence there uh, right off the coast of of where all this action has happened. We are there and we're, we're in it. And I, I just I just think that um I, I think that we need to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You put that aircraft carrier off the coast and it's sitting there. It's the largest aircraft carrier in the world and it belongs to the United States of America. It's got to give Hezbollah, Iran, some concern about crossing even this weakened American president who said, if you're thinking about, quote, helping, don't helping the Palestinians. Don't. Mm. You know, we're warning you. I, mm-hmm. I recognize he's feeble and he's weak and he's projected weakness, but it's not all about him. It's also about the greatest military on the face of the earth. And that's ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And um, I, I do think it's a deterrent. I mean, how could it not be? And and by the way, there are there are, there are two carriers that will be there. Uh, within a matter of weeks, as I as I understand it, and and every other ship that goes along with it, and I cannot imagine, as you say, Megan, like, what are you thinking if you escalate and there are American ships in 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 the area that could fire? I mean, Tomahawk missile is a pretty pretty tough weapon, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah. it could do a lot of damage. But I mean, this is what we have to do to prepare for the worst case scenario, because like you alluded to earlier. Megan in the you know six day war, all of these countries invaded Israel to try to wipe it off the map. Israel wouldn't exist today if they had not won that war. The land that the you know the the Hamas will say Israel is occupying is land that was they tried to steal from Israel in yeah. that war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the threat of escalation. The threat of escalation is very very real. We know that Hezbollah, through through American intelligence and, and Israeli intelligence, we know that Hezbollah is putting rockets and missiles inside of buildings like schools and churches and mosques and hospitals to protect protect those missiles. We know that in the same way that basically Hamas has done it in Gaza, we, we've seen reporting over the last few days that there are efforts to activate terrorist uh, sects with from within Israel inside of cities we know that the west bank is a very fraught an area very fraught with conflict so the 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 possibility for es- possibilities for escalation are endless especially if the money is flowing from iran is as freely as as it appears to be mm-hmm. um so it is just it's so important that there is some sort of deterrent in the area and that deterrent comes in the form of American aircraft carriers. Yeah, that's us. Uh, Duncan, to your point about, you know, how Israel allegedly, they're the colonizers. The editor's podcast, you know, by National Review, they were making, they were talking about this on Monday and Charles C.W. Cook was making a great point saying, first of all, the Israelis are indigenous people here. You know, their their relationship to this area goes back 3,000 years. But second of all, who cares? Who cares? He was like, do you know how many countries where they've fought wars 
over who's going to have the land, who's going to be in, in charge. And, and then one side wins and one side loses and the other side goes on to live there peacefully. Only in Israel is, does this remain an issue forevermore, right? So he's like, I don't care whether you call them colonizers. They're not. This is their land. But, you know, and, and even as Jeff Jacoby was pointing out in that piece, they, they, they have, you know, one country. The Israelis have one. The Jews have one country, which was formed after the Holocaust. And these Muslims have 55 countries all around, and they're, they're not satisfied. They want this one to go away. So I'm done listening it, to the your colonialists. It, it, it's a great point, Megan, and it's one I make often because I would just love to talk to these woke decolonization historians about when was the time in, in, in human history. Give me an exact date where everybody was living on the land that you believe that they deserved and should have in perpetuity forever. That isn't the existence right. of the human race. It's never existed. When Islam was started in the six, 600s, they spread the religion through conquest all through North Africa and the rest of the Middle East, through empires, through the imperialism that Rashida Talib says we have to dismantle. Like, it's just a historical bullshit. These people don't know what the hell they're talking about. They never picked up a history book. That's exactly you know right. What the, I, they, they I, I don't remember that Yale professor uh, who said who's calling everybody settlers. I don't remember her offering her home to the Quinnipiac people who <laughs> were living there yeah. years ago before she came. So she's a settler to them. Right. Is good, she going to just like point. hand her house over? Um, I, I think all of these I, uh, people could make could make a really good gesture if they would go ahead and decolonize themselves and move somewhere else so we could live in peace here in the United States. I'd love to see it. Um, I'm trying to find this quote that I took a picture of. I guess it was last Tuesday. What was the date of last Tuesday? Today is, it would have been October 3rd. All right, stand by. Um, and the reason I'm trying to find this quote is, oh, here, I found it. So... When we were shopping for schools in New York City, understanding we lived in a leftist world, uh, we wanted we knew they'd all be liberal, but we didn't know just, you know, we didn't want leftist. Right. And um, one of the schools we went to it was uh, I think it was Fieldston and it feels a very Tony school, like up in sort of the Bronx area. But this absolutely gorgeous campus. I mean, it looks like a college campus. And I, I never forget when we walked out. I said that 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 is an absolutely perfect school for Rachel Maddow's children. <laughs> it was like, my husband and I were like, whoa, whoa. They talked about how in third grade, all they do in, in social studies, all they do is make the children absolutely fall in love with the Native Americans and establish that it was the Native Americans land. And they do the whole land acknowledgement things. And they teach the children all about like all the gifts that the Native Americans brought. And then fourth grade, this is a quote, fourth grade is very hard. It's very hard. It's, it's, it's when we walk them through how we murdered them all. We murder all. So they make the children fall in love with the Native Americans in third grade, only to big reveal the the you know the evil white colonizers came over and murdered them all. And we're thinking, my God, <laughs> some of this like in tiny amounts could be appropriate taught correctly. No. Um, so then we moved schools, right? And we came out to Connecticut. And now the same child who we were looking at schools for our, our eldest was, you know, he was the one who we were looking at Fieldston, which was immediately rejected. Now he's at school out here in Connecticut and he's in the eighth grade. And we showed up for a curriculum night last Tuesday and we walked into his history slash social studies classroom. And do you know what we saw on the board? Mm -hmm. A quote from Ronald Reagan. 
I'm not kidding. Uh, A nope, quote from Ronald Reagan. Wow. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you because I think there's just some hope for people out there. An informed patriotism is what we want. Are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what America is and what she represents in the long history of the world? We've got to teach history based not on what's in fashion, but on what's important, why the pilgrims came here, who Jimmy Doolittle was, and what those 30 seconds over Tokyo meant. Let's start with some basics, more attention to American history and a greater emphasis on critical, on civic ritual. President Reagan, farewell address to the nation written by Peggy Noonan. Uh, That's how it's done. And if your child is in a leftist school like Fieldston or a leftist school like NYU Law or Albany Law now or Harvard, you really need to stop and think, is this what I want to create? Do I is are these the people I want as their teachers, you know, or would you prefer a teacher like this? who spends their time, their precious time in class, teaching them about America, its history, the reasons to love it, the checkered past that we do have, of course, but teaches them to fall in love with the country and the values that we happen to share, the fundamental goodness of America, right? It's like all these people we've been discussing for the past hour and a half are on the other side, not just of Israel, but of America. And their influence is ubiquitous. Yeah, I mean, I see this as the left's grand plan in all of this is creating this kind of pipeline where you look at, uh, to begin with, what the admissions process for uh, uh, colleges these days. They're not looking for academics. They're looking for activists. The professors there are activists. So they want to train the kids who come in there. You're not getting an education in how to be effective. I mean, these Harvard Law kids didn't even know to read something before they signed it. They're getting an education in how to be an activist. And then there's no question being you know, asked by this administration of why does college cost so much when these colleges are bloated and full of DEI uh, counselors that they're getting top you know, salaries just to be a DEI officer on a college campus. They're not worried about the cost. They're trying to just forgive the debt. So taxpayers are essentially sponsoring activists to get an education on a college campus that they can then go on to a college campus and become a professor that writes America is a dying empire and I stand with the resistance of Hamas. So the whole system has essentially been captured by the left. And then they go on now into the corporate environment where they've started getting jobs as DEI officers and trying to influence the corporations effect. So like all facets of our life, they're trying to get complete control over through their activism. One good thing, you guys, about this on the on the, you know, shoots, the green shoots is um. Where is it? The, the guy who um, he started or he's the CEO of Apollo, right? Another one of these huge global money firms, Mark Rowan. He tried to, he went to UPenn. He went to Wharton um, and he's, I think, CEO of their board. And he tried to write a letter to UPenn because they had similar problems at UPenn in the initial response to the violence. And they had a couple of weeks ago had some crazy. What does he call it? The um, Palestine rights literary festival um in which they they were advocating he says the cleansing the ethnic cleansing of jews so it's a problem that's a problem yeah yeah so he wrote a letter to his university where again i mean this is a power player he's the he's the chair of the board of overseers of the wharton school at upenn and the ceo of apollo global management which is just a behemoth um something said i read somewhere he 
I think he he uh, and his wife donated fifty million dollars to UPenn or Wharton. So this is a player. He's got fifty million bucks to spare, and he writes them a letter saying, "This is bullshit. I object to your festival <laughs> calling for the, for the ethnic cleansing." They wouldn't print his letter in the what? school paper. They wouldn't print it. So he went to Barry Weiss at the Free Press, and God bless the Free Press, uh, Barry Weiss's version of it at least. They printed the letter in which he not only says to all the alumni, close your checkbooks, take your checkbook out. Instead of writing that $50 million check, write a check for $1 so that they know you you heard them. You didn't go off the face of the map. You're just sending a message with your $1 check. And he called for the university president, Liz McGill, and the chairman of the board, Scott Bach, to resign. He was like, we have gone too far that you would allow this, that you wouldn't condemn this. And then critically, he says the following. This is the best part. You should go to the free press and read the whole thing. He writes, he he rips on them for creating a culture of intimidation and fear of speaking out against this status quo. And then he goes on to say the responsibility also rests with many of our alumni leaders and trustees, myself included, who have sat by quietly as the pursuit of truth, the ostensible mission of our elite institutions was traded for a poorly organized pursuit of social justice and political correctness. Ultimately, we must change the culture that allows this to take place, a culture that does not deserve our financial support. They're starting to get it. What a cancer this obsession with identity politics has created. It's stunning in the social engineering that's conducted by a handful of these admissions people at universities around the country is really, really troubling. And I don't know if you saw this, Megan, we were talking about it earlier, but there was a guy uh, who let me just read you his stat line. Despite earning a 3.97 unweighted and 4.42 weighted GPA, scoring 1590 out of 1600 on the SAT and founding his own e-signing startup rabbit sign in his sophomore year uh this guy with an asian background was rejected by the 16 colleges he applied to so there is there is a lot wrong with higher education in this country and hopefully what's starting at um at uh penn where you as you talked about hopefully that has an impact and ripple a ripple effect around the country i i just worry about what this means for our society for the next 10 years 30 years the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. Really, you know, to Smug's point earlier, they've basically set up this parallel economy where our meritocracy is dead, right? And it's activist based, and you're rewarded by, you know, the billionaires who fund left wing outfits like Arabella Advisors yep. and whatnot. And you get a grant, and then your rest of your life is taken care of, and you never have to think about having to make a real dollar in your entire life. You pair that with what Ashbrook said, which is the social engineering component, where the guy who gets a perfect score on his SATs can't get into any of the schools because he's Asian. Right. And you combine those two things and you got to be very concerned that if we don't stand up to this now, not just uh, like the Apollo Global Management a guy did to uh, to the Wharton School, but to the corporations who help fund this stuff, the BLM radicals who are pro Hamas. If we don't stand up with our checkbooks and our voice to push back on these people hard now, it may be too late. Mm hmm. If you can't, if you don't print the letter of the guy whose name is on probably the gymnasium and the new science building and is who runs Apollo, who's got a deep pocket for future donations, 
there's something wrong. I mean, you've been yeah. captured for sure. You know what? It just gave me an idea. I want to start an organization. Maybe I'll ask Barry Weiss because she's so good at starting things. Um, I want to start an organization for students who don't go to these schools. Like we have to find schools like maybe University of Chicago, although they're not as great as they used to be, but they're they're better on free speech. Maybe University of Florida, where Senator Ben Sass just put out the perfect letter responding to the, the violence in Israel uh, against the Israelis. The perfect. It's not hard. Read his letter and then do that, university professors, where we, we find the universities that they don't have to be right wing, but they're that are just still reasonable and actually do promote free speech and don't hire terrorist sympathizers. Uh, and then we encourage people to send their children. There. Don't go to Harvard. Don't, don't go to Berkeley. Don't go to Columbia. Don't don't go to these schools that are foisting this stuff on your kids and trying to indoctrinate them in leftist ideology, hateful leftist ideology. You go to these other schools and then in my in my idea, my new organization, you guys can help me do it. And uh, what we do is we go to those schools and we become a funnel for the schools who are at these allegedly second tier, but actually first tier universities to the Apollos of the world, to the Winston and Strawns of the world, um, you know, to all these global firms that are normal, but have been sucked in by the, oh, they have to come from Harvard, but are secretly realizing, no shit, we don't want the ones from Harvard. It's a nightmare. And we help them. You know, you know what? Oh, you, you're amazingly smart. Oh, but you're Asian. <laughs> At our <laughs> firm, that that second line won't be there, <laughs> right? Oh, but you're a white guy. Oh, we're you know it's like back in like the 1950s. We hire whites. Only this time, you mean it as an affirmative action program. <laughs> it's insane, <laughs> right? But like, we need some sort of a funnel that makes it okay for these students to reject these asshole schools. And go to a school that's not going to indoctrinate them and know that they have an Apollo waiting for them on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I think for a long time, it's been a concern of what social engineering is taking place in the admissions process. Harvard was sued by uh, Asian students and families because they've essentially been extremely racist in their admissions process of they said that Indian people don't have a, a likable personality. So they would downrank them based on that, even though they could have a perfect SAT score and a perfect GPA. Inherently, they say there's something flawed about these Asian students, so we don't want them here. So the fact that universities are doing this kind of woke social engineering means, you know, let's say you have a graduate of a med school from one of these places. Do you think you're getting the best possible care? Or is this someone who wrote an essay that appealed to the BLM, you know, admissions officer? So now in the end, you don't know what you're getting out of these schools. So that level of quality that used to be associated with, oh, they're an Ivy League graduate. Now it's like, oh, what, are they a terrorist? Do they support Hamas? You don't know what you're getting there. Well, I mean, this this rhino workman who was the head of the Student Bar Association at NYU, who now got her offer withdrawn from Winston and Strawn. Oh, she was clearly, to me, a diversity hire because she sounds like an idiot. So I don't know how else you get in NYU law. You must be a diversity uh, applicant, whatever. Um, and she goes by they, them. So the irony of this idiot supporting Hamas as a they them, <laughs> it's like that gaze, yeah. gaze for Palestine thing online where right. people keep tweeting, who's going to tell them? <laughs> Guess how yeah, I they, go for you, Rhina. Yeah, they want <laughs> to throw you off a roof. Gaza. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's wild. I mean, that is sort of the strangest part of this leftist ideology is the cognitive dissonance that these people can operate in. And it's because they view the entire world as an intersectional that they can somehow yada, 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 the really important part that like, no, there are some principles that are supposed to matter in a Western liberal democracy. 
and they just form these coalitions of things that are completely divergent, right? And I mean, it's it goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show, where there's a lot of people who are prominent Democrats who happen to be Jewish who are appalled by this stuff. It's like, well, wait, wake up! Who did you think these people were? <laughs> exactly right. The, um, the by the way, just a couple of great ones out of the Babylon Bee. Um, all right, stand by. Here's one Palestinian it. flag outside of Rashida Tlaib's office seen throwing pride flag off the roof. <laughs> Here's another yeah. one from the Babylon Bee. Harvard student leaves lecture, leaves lecture on microaggressions to attend kill the Jews rally. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. They, they yeah. have such a good ability of like capturing the absurdity. All right, quick break. And we've got, got to talk about the about politics just a little because there are some interesting polls and I want to talk about what's happening in the house in the time we have left. Don't go away. More with the guys from Ruthless next. The fellas. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hi, I'm Josie. My daughter turns five today. I'm also an Ohio State Highway Patrol trooper. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can get home to celebrate with my daughter. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Okay, so let's talk presidential politics right now because the polls are really interesting. Uh, Fascinating state polls out of Pennsylvania would point out that this one released from Emerson Colleges of Registered Voters, which, as you guys know, not really that great. It's much better to have likely. But the registered voters poll shows taken before, by the way, the stuff that's happened in Israel shows Trump in Pennsylvania up nine percentage points over Biden. Nine in Pennsylvania, which Biden won the last time. Then let's go over to Michigan, uh, a poll out of marketing resource group, which for what it's worth has a BC rating from 538. Uh, That's Nate Silver's group that assesses all polls. They are showing Trump up seven in Michigan over Biden. Now that's just two swing states. And I I pointed out that the polls have a couple of weaknesses to them, but that's amazing news for Trump (laughs) as of today. I'd uh, like not only is he crushing everybody in the GOP field now, I mean, up nine in Pennsylvania, guys. Yeah, he is really, really strong right now, and he only seems to be gaining uh, gaining steam. And a Trump margin like that is not just good for him. It's good for all Republicans, because we have down ballot races in both Pennsylvania and Michigan that matter very, very much in the Senate. We've got this guy, Dave McCormick, who's running in Pennsylvania. He is a great candidate running against Bob Casey, who's been there way too long and has sort of lived a charmed life every cycle, winning easy races in good cycles for Democrats. If Trump is winning Pennsylvania by that much, Dave McCormick, who some argue will run ahead of Trump, Dave McCormick will win that Senate race. And if we're winning there and if Trump is ahead in Michigan as far as he's ahead in Michigan, 
We get this guy, Mike Rogers, who's running as a Republican, former congressman there. He's running against uh, a, a, like this liberal uh, Alyssa Slotkin for an open seat. Trump is leading in Michigan. We're going to win the Senate race in Michigan. So a big Trump lead, if he can sustain it, which I think these guys will poke holes in, if Trump can sustain a lead like that, it's very, very good for Republicans across the map. Yeah, yeah this I mean, is before we've had the four criminal trials. So there's there's that. But yes, right. go ahead, Duncan. Right. I mean, there's the four criminal. This is a snapshot before the four criminal trials. Obviously, a lot can can change. I also worry sometimes with Trump. And I mean, this is not the first experience we've had with this, but like he does spoil his own good fortune sometimes, you know, um, I saw a clip of him just yesterday, uh, you know, talking about how smart uh, Hezbollah was and criticizing Netanyahu mm. in, in Israel. Uh, for, nobody wants to hear that right now, you know, and yeah. I get it. It's like Trump. Trump just does this thing where he just he's up there and he's riffing and he's just sort of trying material. And I know he doesn't mean it sometimes, but like he just stomps on his own story. And it, it should be a great week for him where the American people are reminded that under his leadership, we were strong in the world. We were respected in the world. And he didn't handle he didn't take anyone's shit. You know, I mean, Soleimani is, uh, you know, that general from Iran is conducting all these proxy wars across the Middle East. And what what did Donald Trump do? He turned him into salsa. Right. That's how Donald yep, Trump and then posted the American flag on Twitter. Right. Right. So right. And so if you're if you're if you're a voter, uh, you know, who who maybe was on the fence about supporting Donald Trump again or, you know, an independent voter or somebody like that, like Americans just sort of like viscerally want somebody who's strong to be in the Oval Office. They know the burdens of the job and being the leader of the free world. And Joe Biden has failed at that so many times that this is like the easiest layup for Donald Trump. I yes. hope he can sustain the thing on calling Hezbollah smart, I'll give him a pass on that because he was trying to say, why would the Biden administration openly say we're really worried about the north of Israel and Lebanon and Hezbollah coming in and exploiting this conflict? That's what we're really worried about. He's he was saying Hezbollah smart. They're listening. That's dumb to, to openly broadcast. So like, I'll give him a pass on that. But there's no question he attacked Bibi um, at a time of most, you know, inc incredible stress and vulnerability for Netanyahu. Um and when he doesn't need it, he does, like Trump didn't need to do it. Netanyahu didn't need to hear it. Here it is. It's, of course, because Trump was mad that Netanyahu said Biden won and Trump lost the presidential election. So Trump starts to bring up how while the Israelis helped us find Soleimani before we bombed him, I guess on the eve of that bombing, they didn't want to help, which I think is the first we've learned of this. But in any event, here's here it is in SOT 7. I'll never forget that Bibi Netanyahu let us down. That was a very terrible thing. So we were disappointed by that, very disappointed, but we did the job ourselves, and it was absolute precision, magnificent, beautiful job. And then uh, Bibi tried to take credit for it. That wasn't good. That didn't make me feel too good, but that's all right. I mean, honestly, Smug, the problem is everything is about him. Yeah. Everything I relates back to him. I, I think it's just like these guys have described is sometimes he can have the problem of being his own worst enemy, especially in this new cycle where, you know, immediately following the Biden administration trying to spike the football on giving Iran money. Now, Iran backed terrorists go in and, and kill innocent civilians in uh, Israel. And so at this moment should be like Trump having complete strength on that subject. And then he goes and just completely models the message. That's that's a huge issue that he has continually. And I think uh, his campaign should really, 
you know, because he's got a great campaign team, a very serious campaign team uh, on this cycle. They really need to make sure that he stays focused because oh, right now, luck. Americans, it's become very clear Biden's doing it. Yeah, it's very clear that Biden's doing a terrible job uh, as president. And this country is not being respected around the world. But for him to just like for, for Trump to jump off message like that's just a huge unforced error. Yeah. I and know, I think it's I also know, benefiting, I know the timing. It's benefiting some of the other Republican presidential candidates. And, you know, they're obviously way behind in the polls. But previously, in a lot of the national polling, uh, in a head to head with Biden, most of the other candidates were, you know, three, four, three, four points back. And Trump was winning by two or tied or, or what have you. But I, I saw the Fox News uh, poll. Yes. Uh, today, you know, where, where DeSantis is leading, Nikki Haley's leading as well. I think it reflects. Is just like, yeah, that that all those candidates. And Trump isn't. Um, Trump's Trump's losing Trump, by one, though. It's within the, the three point yeah. margin of error. It's all it's all in the margin, I think, especially when you're doing with these early polls and registered voter polls, it reflects like a broad sentiment. It's not the most accurate, obviously. But what I think it reveals here is that the American people just want leadership that isn't Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's right. And, you know, uh, it's been well reported that President Trump is not wild about the fact that a bunch of people are running to challenge him for the nomination. But I do think he would it would benefit him to listen to some of them, including this guy, Doug Bergen. We've talked about him on your show before. We've talked yeah. about him on our. Let me, let me just Dude said he's you. like John Wayne. Mm -hmm. yeah, let me just read you Doug Bergen's statement about what's going on in the Middle East. He says countries like Qatar and Turkey that support Hamas should have 24 hours to give up their agents, close offices and cut off support. Or we should close our airspace to Qatar Airways and Turkish Airlines if they refuse. I mean, that is something like that. that is very specific. That sounds like John Wayne. And it's like it's the kind of thing that if if President Trump got specific about the enemy and played offense against the enemy instead of like talked about what happened months ago or who he doesn't like, you know, like sometimes that's funny. But sometimes in a very, very serious situation it, like that, it requires a very serious response like Bergam provided. It, it's a really good point, Ashbrook, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's it's the sort of outside the box thinking that Donald Trump was the best at in 2016, where it's not just, oh, well, you know, our dipl diplomats will meet with your diplomats and we'll we'll have these uh, discussions about what's an appropriate way to respond. But like taking it outside of that diplomacy and going directly into the economic sphere and saying, no, you know what, if you're going to keep doing this, we're going to go ahead and we're going to punish your economy. We're going to punish your airlines that want to fly over here. It's the sort of thing Donald Trump did so well in 2016. Mm -hmm. To your point, if he had that specificity again, I think he'd be he'd be killing it. You know, you know, it's all the whole thing is very confusing. And I think what could help solve it is a Venn diagram. I think that could really be helpful. This is this is what our sitting vice president uses to solve all of her problems. We've talked before about how she's obsessed with a Venn diagram. She went before these remarks that we mentioned the other day or earlier in the show. Uh, she was down in Charleston and she made a comment first about the Venn diagram, which she freaking loves. OK, so just listen to SOT 8 to set it up. So. I'll tell you one of the things about me. So I'm kind of a nerd on certain levels about certain things. So here's one reveal. I love Venn diagrams. <laughs> I love Venn diagrams. I'm telling you, whenever I'm facing like a conflict and I need to sort it out, give me a Venn diagram every day of the week, right? Oh, my God. She's an idiot. I mean, so she was at Charleston. Yeah. She's on a college campus tour. So that's number one. OK, so you can see like the two interviewers are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then for the first time, I think 
she explains exactly how she uses the Venn diagram in, in her position. Listen. I asked my team, I said, let's, let's do a Venn diagram. Show me from which states are we seeing attacks on voting rights, LGBTQ rights, and reproductive health rights. And you would not be surprised to know there was a significant overlap. And so that's scary and obviously troubling, but there's, there's also a bright side to, to that knowledge that we have, which is great coalition building opportunity. Let's put her in charge of the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised that someone who's so bad with words needs, uh, you know, visual aids to get through the day. Uh, it's not really <laughs> surprising at all, actually. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, all right. I've got to ask you quickly in the time we have left, what's going to happen in the House Speaker race? They say it's going to be Steve Scalise. That's who they've settled. And he beat Jim Jordan in the in the vote. But the GOP conference seems to be divided right down the middle. And there's a real question about whether Steve Scalise has the votes because he needs all the votes. He can only lose five, right? He can, he can only lose four. He can't lose five if he wants to be speaker. So what's going to happen? Yeah, I don't I don't know any that anybody can 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 know right now what is going to happen. It seems like to me, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like to me that after they had that uh, you know private meeting of the conference and then they voted for who they wanted to basically designate as the majority of Republicans want so-and-so, and it was obviously Steve Scalise. But it seems like since then, because they're obviously going to have a, a vote on the floor here, that the inertia sort of stopped a little. And now you're hearing people talking about maybe McHenry, right? Or um, you know maybe Tom Emmer, um, or obviously Jim Jordan, who's also in the race. It's sort of unclear. I just wish Republicans could get their act together with all this crazy stuff happening in the world. It feels like such small ball to be bickering amongst ourselves. And it's just everybody wants to make this like a struggle session and fucking therapy about how things weren't <laughs> fair to them. And it's like, I don't give a shit. We got the world on fire. Blinken is in Tel Aviv and, and we're here crying amongst ourselves. Read the room and get your act together. Yeah, I mean, I've been yes. making this point repeatedly. The most critical thing is Get a speaker, get the conference united, because having a Republican in a single voice who can speak for the conference and call out all these terrible decisions that the Biden administration has made and all these failures, leaving Americans behind. This happened in Afghanistan. That wasn't just, you know, a one time thing. They're leaving them behind now in Israel. Twenty five Americans now being reported as killed in Israel. The families have not heard from the Biden administration. So they would, you know, if Republicans had a singular voice to attack the administration, we'd have a strong position of strength. That's what needs to be done. Yeah. And, yeah. Just, and, just to update that number, John Kirby just updated 27 Americans killed, 14 missing. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Ashbrook. I'll give you the quick last word. Well, I think that puts as fine a point on it as anything that it's time for the House Republicans to get serious and stop whining amongst themselves behind closed doors and just pick somebody, just somebody and get back. Somebody. I'm going to get a T-shirt to somebody. Just pick somebody. Yeah. Speak or somebody. I pick you guys. Come back anytime. <laughs> it's great to have you guys. All the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. 